2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mornings with Carmen, Hour 2. I'm Peter Kapsner, filling in for Carmen LeBird. She's away enjoying a few extra days of holiday with her family here on this Memorial Day weekend. Delighted to be with all of you. What a great way to start our day together as we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus yet again today. Of course, love to hear from you throughout the show as well. We're going to have Adam Holtz join us in just a moment to talk about some of the different movies and TV shows that are coming out. Quite a slate on the docket here coming up this summer, sort of a return to pre-COVID releases of films and 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 TV shows. So you can text us in at any point at 877-933-2484. And before we get to that, I just want to revisit something that we talked about at the top of hour one and Paul Perot, we obviously cover a lot of news here on Mornings, mm-hmm. with Carmen bringing the mind of Jesus to bear on, on some of these headlines of the day. And and I don't know if in my time here, four or five years on Faith Radio, if I've seen a more troubling headline, and especially as the details are trickling out about what's happened in Uvalde, Texas yeah. and, the, and the school shooting. We obviously have been privy to a number of these horrific horrific kinds of gun crimes and independent of the politics of the situation. And, and I know we have to talk about the politics of the situation as we move forward and debate the different platforms, Republican, Democrat, and otherwise, there's, there's a lot of conversations to be had there. But I think we have to be mindful that if a, a platform or a political platform could solve the issue in its entirety... And this is an issue that is an issue of sin and evil and and darkness mm-hmm. uh, that is part of the narrative of this present darkness Paul describes in in some of his letters to the different churches. If those platforms could solve those issues, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come and die. <laughs> he, he wouldn't have needed to burst forth out of that grave, thus destroying the power of sin and death. And so. As believers, what makes us unique in our approach to these situations is that we're not going to lean into temporary government policies to to really bring the healing and the shalom that we desire. As important as those conversations, I'm not meaning to diminish those conversations, but I don't want to exalt those conversations to a place where they actually don't belong.
0: That's the struggle. That is the struggle because, okay, yeah, there are certain policies that may be beneficial, they're not going to solve the problem, and you're right. Uh, The the sin issue, the fallen nature, not only of the individual, but also the brokenness that it it affects the rest of our society with at so many different levels. How do you deal with that? And again, I go back to what I mentioned last hour. Uh, Unless us as the body of believers offer positive influence and healing in our culture through the proclamation of the gospel, but also living out the values of the kingdom, influencing the world that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is that unique invitation. There's many ways in which we as believers can impact the situation. Two that come to mind is to to be bearers of the hope of the future coming king. When Jesus does return and the Lord of heaven sets all things Right. It is at that moment that all of our tears will be wiped away. And so we, we do want our tears wiped away in this life. But unfortunately, it is going to be a life of sorrows on some level for all of us, whether it is the being impacted by the events of Uvalde, Texas, or undoubtedly people listening this morning are being impacted by relational concerns and health concerns and things that just bring a lot of trauma to the soul. And one of the hopes that we profess is that those tears will be wiped away. And and the second thing that we can say is that in the midst of this journey of tears, then, we do have a God of all comfort. Yeah, Somehow somehow God does bring a supernatural comfort into that situation. And so as we wrap up this opener in the top of hour two, just some words from the second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter one, in which Paul writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Faith Radio family, let's be channels and conduits of the comfort of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. Ten minutes past the top of the hour here on the 27th of May, and those horns mean that Adam Holtz of PluggedIn.com is joining us to talk about some of the different movies and television shows that are coming out here or are out already. Good morning, Adam.
3: Good morning, Peter. How are you this morning?
2: Well, good, and I was looking at the the first of the films that you and I are going to talk about this morning, and, and I was in a cinema recently catching the new Doctor Strange movie with a couple of my kids, and sure enough, a preview comes out, and here's Tom Cruise as Maverick, jumping into that fighter plane again as part of Top Gun. And and I think it it probably speaks to uh, some additional discipleship I might need here, Adam, because I found myself a little bit in tears watching Maverick on the big screen again.
3: Well, I think it speaks to the power of story to influence us. And uh, you and I are roughly in the same age cohort. We are. And, And you probably remember the The first one made you want to go drive a hundred miles an hour, which we can talk about that separately <laughs> um, because I think it 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 would, the first one was such a feel good movie, and this one the trailer pretty much tells you everything you need to know, like extend that trailer and some of the associated feelings for two hours, and you have Top Gun Maverick, which you know it's basically an excuse to let Tom Cruise be Tom Cruise as well as he's capable of being Tom Cruise. Uh, you know, yeah. yep. this is, a, I haven't heard a single critical word about this movie. I've read reviews that said it's so much better than the original. And we're in this moment right now <clears throat> between the pandemic, which feels like it's living in my voice this morning. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the Ukraine and, oh, now we've got monkey pox and we've got school shootings. This is a straight up old school feel good you know, climb in a fighter jet movie. Uh, And and I'll also say it's rated PG 13 for about 25 profanities. And that's sort of glass half empty, half full. I would say it's not a movie probably for 10 year olds, but I also think compared to most PG 13 movies, you're not going to feel like you've come out being assaulted by content from end to end. You get a heroic redemptive story that uh, features the ageless Tom Cruise, you know, at some Mm. point, you know, you would think his his infernal deal with the devil might be up, and <laughs> he he's going to age like a hundred years in ten seconds. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but he's aged well. He's aged he has. well.
2: Yes. Is there any inappropriate sexual content in this? I, I, obviously, there. Well, were in the first one, the steamy yeah. scenes with Kelly McGillis, and and is there anything yeah. like that in this one?
3: Here's the interesting thing. There is the implication of uh, you know an intimate moment. But they have sort of that old school discretion. Um, we don't actually see it. And I thought, man, usually things go the other way. Uh, now, we also see him crawling out the window because this woman is afraid of her daughters finding out that he spent the night. So, <laughs> But even in that, there is a recognition that maybe this isn't quite <laughs> in the right order. So mm-hmm. you could make the argument that even that feels a little bit old fashioned.
2: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I know that uh, none of my kids, and I've got twenty two, twenty, and sixteen as the three oldest. None then, of them have seen the original Top Gun, so I think we're going to need to go there first before
3: we see one, this one. One, one, one other fun fact. <laughs> this is super fun, and I didn't know till just now. I looked it up on Wikipedia. You know, we played. Uh, Paul played Danger Zone a minute ago. I was looking up to see who. Played the synthesizers, and that's Giorgio Marauder, Marauder, Marauder man, that's hard to say. <laughs> uh, the lead guitar uh, was done by Dan Huff, who may not be a household name, but Dan Huff was one of the guitarists in Whiteheart Christian band way, way, way back in the day. So
2: I do uh, remember Whiteheart. They were one of the pioneers of Christian rock back in the day.
3: They were, and and he was in an early iteration. They had a couple of other guitarists later on. Uh, Gordon Kennedy went on to play with Eric Clapton, and then their final guitarist, whose name is totally escaping me, is now Trace Adkins' guitarist. So, but anyway, that's just kind of a I didn't know Dan Huff played those guitars. So there you go. Mm. Well, another movie coming out that maybe
2: the the title of it is lesser known to people from from our generation, but certainly it makes a humongous impact on the <laughs> next generation. And that's Halo. I know that many of my yeah. university students in this Christian institution, which I teach, they come to, to 8 o'clock class kind of bleary eyed because they've been up playing Halo most of the night. So take us into this movie.
3: <laughs> well, Halo has been around in its various iterations since the Xbox showed up in 1999 and as is often the case with video game movies they're hard to pull off but basically you've got guys in cool costumes shooting aliens (laughs) and honestly you know you've got some profanity but that's about it this is you know let's have the humans save us from the, the bug people aliens so uh, it's pretty straightforward.
2: <laughs> yeah, worth seeing? Or is it something that you could uh, just as soon avoid altogether? Or Because yeah. I'm sure that you're probably going to have some
3: teenagers at home that are going yeah. go to go on. I it. think if if you're a hardcore fan, it is not something that, that I would say, oh, boy, don't watch that. But it's also, you know, it's pretty violent. It's got a little bit of profanity. Um, and so, yeah, you know, not the worst, not the best of all the content out there, this is some of it.
2: <laughs> it's Adam Holtz, uh, you know, his voice from PluggedIn.com, such a reliable source uh, to go to, to get some previews on some of these movies and, and video games and TV shows that are coming out. Adam, when we come back in just a moment, there's some pretty big name shows that are coming out, either streaming uh, on a few different services, other ways to engage with them. We've seen uh, Stranger Things 4, as well as the premiere of the new Obi-Wan series. So when we come back, let's address those next year on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. Peter Kapsner filling in for today here on the 27th of May. And boy, we're uh, hearing quite a bit of music beds from Paul Perot here. Some pretty scary things, and that is related to Stranger Things. It's quite the, the popular TV show. I know I was pretty cynical of it, Adam, when I first heard about it. My 20-year-old daughter watched uh, all three seasons and i decided to watch them with her i was it's troubling i i I can't say that i can recommend it i'm i'm mixed by it but it's quite a storyline and takes us back into the 80s but it sounds like season four is going to go even a little bit darker than where they've
3: been in the past it does and let me take a very very brief detour before we talk about that sure um, not to throw the host of the show under the bus, but that music was Darth Maul's theme. So, uh, why are we talking about? Darth we are going to go to.
2: We're going to go to one. Well, he is equally dark. We're, we'll go to well, Darth Maul in yeah. a little bit too. of the well, face, know, dude. Didn't you know that? Well, well was, you know, Paul is the music master around here, Adam. You know, I just defer to his greatness in terms of the music mix.
3: Well, and, and we've got the new Obi wan Kenobi series yes, out on indeed. Disney Plus. We did not get an advanced screener, so I haven't seen it yet. So the only thing I'm going to say is, Ewan McGregor is back. Hayden Christensen is back. And it debuts today, and our review will be up later today. So um, now we can talk about Stranger Things if you want.
2: Yeah, I, well, just let's stay on Obi-Wan for just a moment because for, okay. for, for fans of those series, I, it, it, the, the Star Wars series and these side stories have been pretty well received in terms of the book of Boba, uh, the Mandalorian. It, it seems like they maybe even are trying to redeem some of what have been widely panned, the the prequels. And even the 7, 8, and 9 were not terribly well received historic Star Wars fans but we're seeing some some pretty good efforts it seems in these side stories so I'll be curious uh, with the return of Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen who played an early Anakin Skywalker and then ultimately Darth Vader he was panned in that role too are we seeing some hope for redemption in some of these stories I know you haven't seen it yet
3: well I hope so and I sort of felt the same way about the Obi-Wan trailer that you did the Top Gun trailer it kind of gave me chills mm. uh, I don't know that I teared up per se uh, but you know, these are, the power of Star Wars is you have an iconic story that has stood the test of time. And I actually was thinking about it this week. You know, I think um, lots of movies aspire to what George Lucas has managed to pull off with the creation of this universe. And I think it, I think it's because it really deals with the question of who am I going to become? And am I going to do the right thing? Um, and of course, we know that, George Lucas modeled the structure of the story on uh, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Um, And so there's a lot in the superstructure of the story. But it's been 45 years since Star Wars came out, and we're still talking about it. So I think he succeeded.
2: Yeah, I think well said. My youngest at home now is 12 years old, but he started engaging in the Star Wars universe probably at the age of eight or nine. And it had every bit the impact on him that it had on the rest of us. We did manage to keep some of the major spoilers out of it. And and I'll say this, Adam, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, uh, when there's this big reveal, I loved looking at my children to see what their reaction was going to be. Because (laughs) I remember so vividly what my reaction was in those moments. It really has stood the test of time. And so it's fun to see the universe continuing to get built out a little bit.
3: Yep, that's exactly right. Completely agree with you.
2: Yeah, well, Stranger Things now, returning back to that, uh, you and I yeah. had a conversation off-air. It's, I haven't seen anything related to Season 4 yet. I know it just came out, and oh boy, it sounds like it's getting pretty dark.
3: Yeah, and Stranger Things is a collection of now teenagers who are battling um, a supernatural evil in a small Midwestern town. Uh, this year's This season's plot is actually significantly more complicated than that because some of them have moved to california but it's clear that hawkins indiana where the main story is set is once again the focal point of supernatural evil Uh, and i'll only say and if you know about stranger things that you know they all have to figure out what's going on and then how to combat this evil um it's a very dark show spiritually speaking there's a dark you know, then they actually call it a demonic force that is preying on you know, the kids in Hawkins, Indiana. Uh, and um, the violence here is as grim and as shocking. Uh, the first episode left my jaw on the floor. Mm. Uh, it comes out today. I've seen the first four of, I think, seven episodes. They divided it up, and then they're releasing episodes eight and nine a little bit later this summer. Um, and I'm conflicted, too. There's enormous darkness here, but I also think there's a stark depiction of a spiritual reality in which you have a spiritual being that's preying on those that this thing considers to be weak. Um, And I think if you do watch it, I think there's space for a real conversation there. Uh, And I'm not saying that by way of endorsement, because I think there are plenty of reasons to just say you know what, this is too dark. We're not going to go there. Uh, But it's also something that especially appeals to uh, a teen audience because most of the main characters are teenagers. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a mixed bag, and and we'll have our full review up of this season a little bit later today.
2: Yeah, I think it brings up a tricky conversation, Adam, that when as parents and grandparents and and knowing that our kids uh, and certainly our kids as friends are probably going to be watching this show but to your point, it's, it's going to be pretty dark and pretty violent. Is there any role as a parent or a grandparent who's not advocating for these shows but wants to be aware of what's going on within our children's lives to watch them in light of that? Or do we avoid it altogether? It seems like that's a really tricky conversation fraught with a bit of peril.
3: Well, it is. And actually, I'm going to give a public service announcement. Uh, we have an upcoming podcast. I think it's scheduled for next week on this very question of when do we avoid – And when do we engage in dialogue? And I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer, Peter. I think it has to do with each family, each child's particular bent, their maturity spiritually, what they can handle. I do think that as they move into their teen years, we begin to give them more freedom to make choices. And sometimes we may not always even agree with them, but they're going to be leaving our care soon. They have to begin to make some of those choices themselves. Um, and, I'll just go on full disclosure. I'm watching stranger things with my 15 year old. So, um, and we're talking about the spiritual implications. So, uh, again, that's not going to be a decision that everybody's going to make. And I don't usually hold my own decisions up as a standard, uh, and I'm not doing that here, but you've got to make decisions as a family. What can you enter into? What do you avoid? What do you talk about? What do you say? not now but maybe later. Like we held off on the Marvel movies with my son for years and years because I was concerned about the language. So his friends started seeing them when the, he was 8 or 9 and we held off till he was 12. So, you know, again, every every family has to navigate that journey on their own.
2: Yeah, we found ourselves in much the same situation Adam and and I'll say this again without advocating uh, but but understanding wisdom and discernment is required situationally in, in all of these sorts of shows. I knew my daughter was going to be watching it. And, and I, I can't tell you the number of conversations that we've had then that builds even credibility into the future. So it's, it's not a one size fits all. There's a lot of no. shows that I wouldn't recommend engaging with at all, but it, but it does really require that wisdom and discernment to, to shepherd well, well in some of these places.
3: Yeah. And, and this is a show that despite the darkness also has very relatable characters who make heroic and redemptive choices, so you know that 's the draw here is you watch the show and you can 't help but fall in love with some of these characters um, and so again, how do you navigate that? Um, if you have a question about it? I think sit down and watch it. have a conversation if you 've got a teenager that's watching it, and so we're huge advocates at plugged in of engagement and intentionality and really not being afraid to draw the line and say no, but also saying, okay, we're going to go here, but we're going to talk about it afterwards.
2: Yeah, it's super helpful, Adam. So the weekend ahead, are you going to be binging the Obi-Wan series as part of Memorial <laughs> Day weekend? Well, there's only two episodes out
3: because Disney still doles it out one week at a time. Well,
2: that's actually good. Well, thanks for all the, the help and, and just even some of the the wisdom in some of these difficult TV shows, and we'll catch up soon.
3: You bet. Sounds great, Peter. Thank
2: you. Yeah, that's Adam Holtz. Again, PluggedIn.com is where you can go for some trustworthy reviews, a bit of information about each of these different movies and television series, but not enough to spoil them. Highly recommend PluggedIn.com. When we come back for the last half of the second hour, we'll be joined by author Matt Saman. Talk about redemption of some really difficult circumstances as part of the Baylor basketball program. I appreciate what uh, Stone Street had to say there, Paul. We've been talking a bit about that this morning about how we, as believers, are able to navigate uh, some of this just profound pain and horror that's happening in Uvalde, Texas, and and among those uh, is that we are the bearers of hope that th- that doesn't do away with the difficulty of the circumstances of today, but we are the bearers of hope in the future. And I just think we can't spend enough time talking about that reality today.
0: No, we can't. I mean, as he said, God has us here now. So what are we? In our spheres of influence, doing to offer grace, healing, redemption in the midst of bad stuff. <laughs> it's what Christ did. It's what we're called to do. And, and even though we can't find our ultimate
2: hope within the circumstances of this world, there are often stories that remind us or, or or point us to our archetypes of the ultimate hope in which we find ourselves, that God does redeem within the circumstances of our lives. And one of those stories is uh, going to be something we're going to address in just a minute with Matt Samen. He's a basketball coach. He was a basketball player at Baylor University. He has written a book titled The Leftovers. And part of what happened within the tragedy of that circumstance led ultimately to... incredible triumph uh, of the national basketball championship in 2021 so stay with us here on mornings without carmen matt saman is up next Sounds like some NCAA championship music with which I am familiar, Paul Perome, and covering uh, and watching the NCAA championship for many years, all the way back to major upsets in the 1980s with Villanova and Georgetown and all of these uh, tremendous basketball players. And that uh, previews the the entrance of Matt Saman into the show with his book, The Leftovers. Good morning, Matt.
1: Good morning, guys.
2: Great to be with you. I know uh, you're currently a basketball coach and uh, you've released this book that chronicles some of your own journey through uh, your time at Baylor University, which which was quite a troubling time in the early 2000s and, and ultimately will be able to connect it to a recent basketball championship that Baylor had in 2021. But Matt, you were at one point in time quite the prep superstar in the conversation for McDonald's All-American uh, as, a, as a high school player and probably filled with quite a few hopes and dreams at that time. So take us back into the story before you attended Baylor and then we'll get into some of the real difficulties that Baylor had during your time there.
1: Yeah. In high school, I went to the Colony High School, which is right outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. And and it was known as a basketball school, but you go back a little bit before that, I'm actually from Pennsylvania where all my family is from and, and at a young age fell in love with the game. And my parents saw that, It wasn't just a hobby with me. It was something I was really dedicated towards and had a passion for. And so much so that when I went to a camp down here in Texas, uh, right before my freshman year in high school, a coach told me that uh, my dreams of playing college basketball could happen for me down here. I flew back up as a 14-year-old, told my parents, I need to move to Texas so I could be a college basketball player. And, And two weeks later, We all came down here to start off my freshman year at the Colony. So, when you say that we had, I had dreams. It was really a family dream, a family goal that we had to to see myself play college basketball.
2: Well, and I'm assuming that that consumed a fair amount of not just your time, but your mental and emotional, maybe even spiritual bandwidth. Uh, Just, I'm assuming going to bed at night, waking up in the morning, thought (laughs) basketball, and, and I'm sure filled with all kinds of optimistic hope and dreams at this point.
1: Well, I, I grew up watching Pistol Pete, and, and he was I was a big fan of his and his homework basketball, but also his movie, uh, Birth of the Legend. Hmm. And in that movie, he has a ball in his bed, and he's shooting it in the air before bed, kind of going through this mantra. And I, I really try to emulate guys like that, that were just all about the game. And even though I grew up in a Christian home, I don't know precisely what moment that basketball really took over our lives. But at some point we started to worship the game and and it became, like you said, just what we were all wrapped up in.
2: Well, now you enter Baylor University. So it's a division one school. It's, it's certainly on the map in terms of of its athletic programs. And I'm assuming your first couple of years there, oh, I'm sure filled with a lot of hard work and, and some setbacks and, and what is typical as part of any athletic team was probably a bit intoxicating as well to be part of a big-time program like this on television. I mean, talk about your first couple of years at Baylor.
1: Yeah, that's a great, that's a good point. I, I, people will ask me, what was it like to play? And, and there's really two sides of it. One, the daily grind of playing Division One basketball at, at that level. I mean, it's just, it's really hard to describe. Uh, mentally just how how drained you are and then also physically how far you're pushed you know i'm six two and a half which sounds tall but in that level Mm. of basketball it's not and i and i'm also not gifted athletically and so i i went into this i was a good offensive player i realized real quick these guys are bigger faster stronger and they can do what i can do but just better and so I had to find a new role, a new way to add value, whether it was as a defensive player or a hustle, a hustler, or even as just a great teammate sometimes on the bench and finding a way to, to maximize my value there. But on the other side, you get to run out uh, at, at Kansas, hmm. you know, at Oklahoma state at A and M at Texas, and you play against future pros and hall of fame coaches yeah, there's something just special to that where you kind of pinch yourself when I'm guarding uh, Kirk Heinrich <laughs> from Kansas. And I know this dude's a future pro. Like, do I even belong on the floor with this guy? There there were some cool moments like that.
2: Well, and, and I'm sure that your days, day in and day out, yes, you were there and, and did the academic thing. But uh, most of your days, I'm sure, comprised by, by basketball holding you together. Take us into then what happened. And, and I don't know how sudden it was for you or what it was like to get... The, the troubling news of a player going missing, of uh, some allegations against the coach, it, it had to just be, it just shatter your world at that point.
1: It was sudden, you know, going into that summer, we were about to be really good. I was a part of coach Bliss's first recruiting class at Baylor, and he was known for turning programs around. And so even my freshman and sophomore year, we were kind of that team that was good, even though our record didn't show it, it didn't show how competitive we were. My junior year, I mean, we were really knocking on the door of of beating some of these big time programs and and making deep runs. And but then everybody thought like we were already picked in the top four in the big 12 going into my senior year, which means we're probably top 25. And we're probably going to be in March Madness, which you played the music earlier. Like, that's the goal. For every college player, especially somebody like me that grew up watching Christian Leitner hit the turnaround shot. I went outside and practiced it in my driveway in the <laughs> snow. You know, so like, like you you just grow up with that goal. It was a Friday afternoon in June, and I stayed on campus every summer to work with. our. I love the campus and I love the school, love working with our, our strength coaches and trying to give myself an edge to compete. And a, a professor called and said, Matt, what's going on with your team? And I said, what are you talking about, man? You know, I played with some knuckleheads over the years. He said, no, you need to to turn on the news right now. And this story just unfolded right in front of me. And I found myself caught up in it, even though I hadn't done anything. I hadn't done anything to be really to be a part of it. And and it was it was a, a very long summer
2: so what were some of the circumstances that took place and and in stepping into? Because again, we're talking about a teammate who is accused of murder. We're talking about a coach paying players under the table. We have maybe providing uh false urine samples that to, to mitigate against drugs. It, it was a, a catastrophic mess at this point.
1: Yeah, almost everything that you could think of that, that was going wrong uh, or that could go wrong was. And, and and the one of the parts too is I didn't know. Like I didn't I didn't realize just really how Corrupt. This program was that I was a part of. I I was living a dream at that point. Uh, what happened over those next two months was w- one of my teammates that I mean I really spent a lot of time with that year. He was a few lockers down from me, and our our playing time uh, was was similar. We would have the kind of the same ups and downs. It turned out he he shot and killed uh, one of my other teammates, Patrick Denny, who was a red shirt but was going to be a future pro and was going to be a reason one of the main reasons why we were picked so high uh when that came out they started to dive in look deeper into our program and we learned i learned just right along with everybody else that the coaching staff that i played almost 100 games for had been doing a lot of things wrong with with paying some players with with uh, uh you know faking or 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 tampering with drug tests and you know, this this perfect scenario that I was a part of uh, just really fell apart. The coaching staff was, they, they left. Uh, I lost 10 teammates in that summer. So going into my senior year now, we don't have a coach. We maybe have about six or seven players. And as my dad told me, we probably wouldn't even have a season. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of a hard two months when as a nine-year-old, I dedicated my life to be, to getting to this point, like I didn't have NBA dreams. I had March madness dreams and, and it was just seemed to just fall apart.
2: Talking with Matt Saman, he was a basketball player at Baylor University in the early 2000s, part of a pretty catastrophic set of circumstances. And Matt, when we come back from a short break, you did have to hold it together somehow in your senior year. You're one of the co-captains, but but even after that, life wasn't necessarily easy. So we'll continue in this conversation with Matt Saman. Again, the book is Leftovers. You're going to want to pick this up if you're a fan at all of sports, but just even of stories of life and pain, sorrow and redemption.
0: Basketball! It's
2: about 13 minutes before the top of the hour. Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge. And we are talking with basketball coach, former basketball player at Baylor University, Matt Saman, who's released a book called The Leftovers. And it really is... Quite the tale of hope and optimism, trauma and tragedy, as well as uh, some redemption. But, uh, boy, even saying that, Matt, it runs the risk of reducing the story down to just little sorts of sound bites. But when you're living this stuff day in and day out, it's ever in front of you. And and, and you had to somehow, going into your senior year, now facing the death of a teammate, all of the scandal among the coaching staff, a a team in pieces, and you were one of the co-captains. You're trying to hold it together at this point what was your senior like in just trying to hold something together when the trauma's all around you
1: when when basketball fell apart that summer uh, i realized who or what was really in control of my life the foundation that i thought i had uh growing up in a christian home that faith or if you would open up my chest uh, christ wasn't there it was it was a basketball hmm. and i took control of my life that summer. And what I mean by that is I was God, if if, if you're not going to allow my dreams to happen the way that I want and and keep my fairy tale going, then I'm going to be control of my peace, my happiness, uh, my joy and Mm. and my meaning. Uh, Coach Drew came to our school. He was 32 years old. We had six to seven scholarship players. And the reason I say six to seven, because it changed from week to week. There were guys that were let go even in our season because of things they weren't doing. We would, we would gain a guy, we'd lose a guy. We had We had a handful of walk-ons that ended up actually playing major minutes. Basketball was really hard. Mm-hmm. Brand new coaching staff, different style of play, still some new revelations coming out about things from that summer. Uh, it seemed almost daily. I had been a behind the scenes guy in the past few years where i had been a starter near the end of my junior year, played every game in my first three years, but really had solidified a role of I do the things that don't show up all the time in the stat sheets, but, are you know, kind of a glue guy. Well, all of a sudden now I'm the guy that the university trusts to in front of the camera or the microphone to say the right thing to to be pro Baylor. Even when in my heart, I wanted to be anywhere else but there. And basketball was hard at the beginning. We were losing to teams that we used to beat really bad. And I just didn't see. Coach Coach Drew talked about how we were laying a foundation for the future. And I, for the first time in my life, I could not. I'd always been very coachable and trusted my coaches. And for the first time in my life, I just could not see His vision couldn't get on board with it. And then behind the scenes, taking control of my life, man, I threw myself into a world that I up until that point wasn't a part of my life, which was the party scene, Uh, the competitive nature that I think sometimes makes athletes great and, and, and helps them to excel. If that nature is thrown into another world, like I started to compete there and I became really good at it. And within the span of two or three months, my life was completely different to where the way I spent my time, the activities that I was doing, and then unfortunately, the way that I was leading. I was leading people the wrong way and leading them in in sin. Uh, uh, And and that's one regret that I have from that season. But there is at some point, as far as basketball goes, there's an amazing Uh, a change that happens in the middle of that senior season.
2: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that first. I I know that uh, there is even some personal sorrow in your own life up until about the age of 30, but you said something pretty compelling a little bit ago about coach drew who was, was keeping in front of you that even though you weren't going to realize the dreams that maybe you had to, to get into March madness and the tournament as you had hoped for that, you were actually doing things in the present that would pay off in the future. And, Part of the kingdom mindset is that that we are people who toil away day in and day out for a future mm. of other people. And sometimes we'll get to see the benefits of that and sometimes we won't. But it sounds like he was
1: preaching that during that time in the program. You're right on the money. And, and as a coach now, that that's what I talk about, too, with my players is legacy, what you're building, uh, how our future players will will get to enjoy a program that you help build. And, and it sounds really good, but in that moment when the me monster is just so strong <laughs> and I'm feeling so sorry for myself and how could this happen to me? I, I wasn't, I wasn't about that. And, and when, you know, when at his press conference, when he says he came to, I was sitting at that press conference, his very first one. And when he says I came to Baylor to win a national championship, I, I mean, you almost, the, there wasn't cheering, you know, like there, Mm. it was very quiet. And in my mind, like I almost felt a snicker, you know, like, Oh, are you kidding me? Like, look around, man, (laughs) 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 Like, what's good. How's that going to happen? So we're losing to a lot of teams. I'm, uh, in my opinion, giving false effort, not my very, very best. Um, there's a time, a game where we're losing bad. Coach Drew does something I don't think ever has ever happened before. In the middle of the game at high-level D1 basketball, he subbed out five scholarship players and put five walk-ons in. Mm. And not like at the end of the game when we're up or down 30. This was first half. And the crowd's cheering and they're getting excited. These guys are playing really hard. And then at some point, Coach Drew looks back at us and says, you guys better play hard when you go in. (laughs) And we don't, and we lose by twenty. And, and actually, when we step back in, our crowd, who was only a few thousand at the time, there wasn't that many people watching us play. Uh, they were booing. They were booing us coming back in the game. The walk-ons going out, and to, I almost quit that night. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think anybody would have blamed me because it was, it was every press conference was, you know, even if we had happened to win or be competitive, the press conference was. Matt, reflect back reflect back to that summer and everything. And I just wanted to reach out and scream and say, I don't want to do that anymore, but it, it, but I had to. And so, but there is a point where we, as a team, we start to really believe in our young coaching staff. We start to believe in each other and we grab a hold of this mentality, which is every night is our championship. Let's go out and do something that nobody thinks we can do, which is be competitive. And, and going into Big 12 play, we weren't supposed to win a game. We end up beating Iowa State. We beat AM twice. We're up four at Texas Tech with Bobby Knight as the coach. We lose, but we're down four with 10 minutes left at Kansas with Bill Self. Like we actually did, we're up 14 at uh at Hughes, uh sorry, um Oklahoma with Kelvin Sampson. At the end of the first half, but we lose, but incredible things that, you know, people now, when I look back, people give a lot of credit to that little team of six or seven guys that not just, you know, kept it together, but actually maybe further or or help the team find success quicker in the future.
2: Talking with Matt Salmon, the book is Leftovers, highly recommended. It's a really important read. It just gets into so much personal, but also the idea of of this legacy. And Matt, we just have a minute left. Uh, For for people that are not familiar maybe with with what's happened recently, Baylor ultimately did win the NCAA championship. You didn't get a chance to be a part of the team as a player at that time. But did any of the players come back in 2021 and, and be able to see the foundation stones that were laid in the early 2000s that ultimately culminated in this?
1: Uh, you mean the 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 current players? So yeah. Out, were you back yeah. and part of it at all? Did you celebrate with the team? Yeah. Right there? And Coach Drew did a great, cool thing. He had us all really. He united about forty to fifty years of Baylor basketball, and mm. he had uh, he invited all of us back for the parade in Waco. And I mean, I get chills thinking about walking down the main street in Waco with people thanking us for staying. Um, uh, cheering us on just as as if we had won the national championship. So, so thankful for coach Drew for that moment.
2: No, it's a great story. I know we couldn't get into all of the dimensions of it, but again, if you're listening this morning and want to pick up a good read, even over the weekend, pick up the book, the leftovers, Matt Saman is a basketball coach, but I'm sure bringing many lessons to your current players, Matt, that you've learned at that time. Thanks so much for taking the time this morning. Thank you for having me on. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show here before the Memorial day weekend on the 27th of May. I know where you come up with this music, call, bro. But <laughs> well, that's
0: the Friday farm yeah, report. Friday I know,
2: know that farm Carmen report. usually does that. Indeed, but indeed. Yeah, you have chickens. We—that's as far as our farm goes. I have. So we've been away from our house for about a month, and so I've, I've got and a little. Grass, I've got. I've got a little grass to work with, and some chickens to, to tend to for sure. Well, I sure appreciated these last two days with all of you as part of our Faith Radio family, and we have been talking about some of the uh, the just the tragedy and the trauma that will continue to unfold undoubtedly throughout the weekend from Uvalde, Texas, and and where our hope lies. So as we wrap up our week, our week, and head into the weekend, some words from Revelation 21 about the future that does await the hope that we profess. Uh, John writes this, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, who has prepared for his bride, as beautifully dressed for her husband, a new place. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Fix your eyes on Jesus together. Faith Radio family be conduits and channels of comfort and compassion for the people around you. This is where we can bear the light and the hope of the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Have a great weekend, everybody.